Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Your Goat podcast. Here's Josh Moranny and my bro, Luca, is here. Got a great show for you. We're going to break down the Bears quarterback situation. Then we're going to talk about some epic collapses by both the Sixers and the Jazz. What went wrong there? What are some next steps for them? The Western Conference Finals is upon us, as well as the Eastern Conference Finals. Get our predictions for both those series, then finish off with some NHL playoffs with the Vegas debacle of Leonard and Flurry right now, and then I will close with the U.S. Open. So to get into it, let's start with the Chicago Bears quarterback situation. And this comes up because the Chicago Bears, with their first-round pick, drafted quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State. Gone is Mitch Trubisky. They no longer have him. They signed Andy Dalton, saying that he was going to be the day-one starter. That's what the head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy, promised Andy Dalton. So you've got Andy Dalton, who was promised the starting job. But you also have Nick Foles, a Super Bowl MVP on your bench, who hasn't been particularly good for you. And then you have a quarterback you drafted, Justin Fields. So there is real quarterback competition there between Justin Fields, Andy Dalton, and Nick Foles. Justin Fields says he's just going to get better, stick to the game plan, He realizes Andy Dalton has the starting job, presumably, but he's going to have to go out there and work for it. So, Luca, do you think Andy Dalton will be the week one starter? And who do you think should be the Chicago Bears' week one starter? I think that their week one starter should be Justin Fields because I think that Justin Fields sitting behind Andy Dalton isn't really too great because Andy Andy Dalton is not a good quarterback at all. We saw him last season with the Cowboys. He did not do good at all. So I think just getting Justin Fields in there and helping him grow would be much better for the Bears. I agree. With the Cowboys, I mean, he was all right Uh, last year. He had a career high in completion percentage. At 64.9%, so right around 65. However, he was 4-5. and five. He had Ezekiel Elliott. He had Amari Cooper. He had Gallup, C.D. Lamb. He had a good team. He did turn the ball over quite a few. In nine games, he did throw eight interceptions. He has to be better. His QBR was only a 53.8, which isn't great, but that's his third highest of his career, fourth highest of his career, but he has been a journeyman now. He is now a career journeyman, I believe. His days of going to the Pro Bowl when he was with the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe, were behind him. And even when he went to the Pro Bowl with the Bengals, his starting record was 6-9-1. and one. So the past few years, ever since 2015, was the Bears' or the Bengals' last appearance in the playoffs with Andy Dalton. Since then, he has had a losing record every season. The year before this Dallas year, went 2-11 and as a starter, threw 16 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. His best days are far behind him. I don't think he will be the starter at all. But then you have... Nick Foles, who is a Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles. But he has not been impressive since leaving Philadelphia. In Jacksonville, he did not win one game. He was unimpressive last year in Chicago. Got off to a great start, uh, winning a couple games. Then he lost the rest. So you have really two... Older, experienced players who have been in the league for around 10 years or so now, and both aren't very good. They're not getting any younger. So you have 
Justin Fields, who just made it to the playoffs both years with Ohio State, was great both times. Last year threw for 2,100 yards in a shortened season. The year before, over 3,000 yards. 41 touchdowns to 3 interceptions in his first full season. Justin Fields is a very efficient quarterback. I think if Matt Nagy utilizes him right, he will be the best option to give you a chance to do good. The Bears are in a particularly uh, tough spot, not knowing what the status is with Aaron Rodgers since they have to face him twice in the division. Who knows if the Vikings will be improved with that defense or not. But it is tough to just throw a quarterback out there into the fire rookie week one. I think they should give him a little bit of time. I think they should start Andy Dalton or Nick Foles week one. But I don't think they should finish with either of those quarterbacks. I think you should slowly incorporate Justin Fields and declare him the starter sometime in the season because he will give you the best chance to win football games. It's his intangibles. It's his toughness that you saw in Ohio State where he played through the game against Clemson with cracked ribs and he was out there balling the best that he could to his ability. So I think in the long run that it should be Justin Fields, that he will give you the best chance to win football games. But right now, I think you have to let him rest. You have to give him more practice. And then his time will come. But I think the Bears, if they do right here, will have hit a home run with Montgomery in the backfield, with Allen Robinson as your wide receiver, with a decent defense, and they can strike magic this year. Now moving on to the NBA. So this was Game 6 Friday night. Utah Jazz going up against the Los Angeles Clippers. Me and Luca both thought the Jazz were going to win, and it sure did look that way. I believe the Jazz were up by 25 points at one point. I thought this game was over. I go in to take a shower. I come out, and the Clippers are winning 99-98. to But he completed the 25-point comeback, and it was all downhill for the Jazz the rest of the way. Luca, what did you see? Was this one of the greatest playoff collapses, or was this one of the greatest playoff comebacks? What do you think? I think this was completely both. On the Jazz's part, they just tried to take too many dumb shots and missed all of them. And then by the Jazz, or the Clippers, they did not miss a single shot from three-point. Terrence Mann was sitting in the corner he was cherry-picking that corner. He made so many threes there. I believe it was Rudy Gobert who was supposed to guard him, and he was sitting under the net every single time. So all they had to do was pass it to him, and he drained all of his threes. And then Paul George was on fire. I think it's Patrick Beverly. Or, no, Richie Jackson. He did really good. Paul George did really good. Terrence Mann did really good. And on Jazz's side, um, Donovan Mitchell did really good, but it didn't really feel like he did really good since he started to really slow down in the second part of that game by not making, like, any shots. And then again, Rudy Gobert's collapse on defense. So I think there was just a lot of both in that game. I agree with what you said, Luca, but I have to say this is a greater Clippers comeback than a Utah Jazz collapse. And I say that because, like you said, the Utah or the Los Angeles Clippers could not miss in the second half. The Utah Jazz were up by 25 points. Jordan Clarkson scored 21 points alone in the second quarter. 
21 points, and he didn't score any of the other three quarters. Donovan Mitchell played great both halves, 9 for 15 uh, from three, nine three-pointers made. He was efficient, but it was the second half, like you said. Terrence Mann shot 70% from the three-point land, ended up with 39 points. Terrence Mann carried this team to a win with the help of Paul George, who also played great. He was out of this world. He wanted to earn the name Playoff P for real this year. Reggie Jackson also added 27 points. Patrick Beverly off the bench made some three-pointers that surprised me. And I believe uh, they scored around 80 points, 81 points in the second half alone. The Utah Jazz were one of the best defensive teams in the country. Mike Conley was back, and defensively, they were not there. The second half was taken by the Los Angeles Clippers in an otherworldly type half where they scored 81 points. They were better from the free throw line. The playmaking ability was much better. They were blocking shots. They were fighting for the loose balls. They wanted to win game six. Utah was complacent. And the Los Angeles Clippers scored a major comeback. And they did this, really, by making Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, look like a liability. They literally turned him into a statue underneath the rim because they knew that they couldn't close out. He couldn't close out on the perimeter if Terrence Mann was there or Paul George or Patrick Beverly, Reggie Jackson, Batum, whoever it was, that he cannot play perimeter defense. He can play post defense. He's the best post defender in the league right now. But he cannot play on the perimeter. So when they drive in and kick out, Rudy Gobert is left there looking like a statue, deer in headlights, where he doesn't know what to do, where if he runs up, then they pump fake him, run by for an easy basket. They were just running at the basket, passing lanes were wide open. Rudy Gobert did not play like the defensive player of the year, and I thought to myself when I was watching that game, what is this guy doing? He does not look like the defensive player of the year. I told my dad and my brother, I said, they need to do a revo on this defensive player of the year. I said, he does not look good. Then immediately, I checked on Twitter, and I saw Shannon Sharp said the same thing, where they need to revo on the defensive player of the year. It is looking like an interstate up there going to the rim because Rudy Gobert did nothing that game. Absolutely nothing. Nothing on offense, nothing on defense, that told me he's defensive player of the year material. It was very pathetic performance by Rudy Gobert. And then regarding Donovan Mitchell, he is not a superstar. I hate to say it, but he, I love myself Donovan Mitchell. I love myself Vespita. Everybody knows that, but he is not a superstar. And I'll say it this way. When the Jazz were up 2-0, Stephen A. and others were saying, he's playing like the best player in the world. He's playing like the best player in the history of the Jazz organization. That's what Stephen A. said. If he's the best player in the Jazz organization, which I disagree with, you got John Stockton and Carl Malone, they weren't blowing leads and series left and right they were going to the NBA finals and losing to the GOAT Michael Jordan that's what got in their way you know who got in Donovan Mitchell's way Terrence Mann that's who got in his way PG-13 pandemic P stopped him to me this series proved that Paul George is better than Donovan Mitchell Donovan Mitchell last year his team and him, in part, because he's the leader of this team, he blew a 3-1 series lead to the Denver Nuggets in the first round last year. This year, 
he blew a 2-0 series lead to a Kawhi-less Clippers this year. You cannot say that he's a superstar when you do that. He has not made a conference finals yet. You cannot be doing this if you're Donovan Mitchell. You're a star, but you have descended from superstar. Yes, I know your ankle was hurt. I will take that into consideration. But you played otherworldly against the Grizzlies, where you won four in a row. You opened up two great games against the Los Angeles Clippers, one of the better defensive teams in this league. And you cannot seal the deal. I'm sorry, but superstars don't blow leads and back-to-back playoffs. I have more to say on this, but Luca, you're shaking like a leaf. What do you have to add about this? Or what do you have to counter me with? He is a superstar. In that game, he dropped 39 points and 9 rebounds and 9 assists. He almost had triple-double in that game. I know he did. And then the next highest player with points had 21. 18 points behind him. And then they all barely got any points in the second half. While Donovan Mitchell was still doing pretty good. And he, another guy, O'Neal, had two more minutes in and 18 less points. He carries that team. He's a superstar. They just don't have a super team to where they can beat these teams. They have Donovan Mitchell. Who's always really good. They have supposedly three-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Who fleed in that game. All right, but he was their defensive player of the year, okay? Jordan Clarkson, who was the sixth man of the year. He shut down in the second half. All right, but then you have Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich, who are decent role players. Mike Conley is a great player for this team as well. So they have a great team. They both have five points. Why did Donovan Mitchell let Terrence Mann drop 39 on his team's head? He didn't. Rudy Gobert let that happen. Rudy he was supposed to be guarding him. What position does Terrence Mann play? I think point guard. Shooting guard. Shooting guard. What position does Donovan Mitchell play? Shooting guard. So who should be on Terrence Mann? Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell! Donovan Mitchell needed to be there defensively as well as offensively. And they cannot count on him yet to be an elite two-way player. To me, that's what makes you a superstar if you're either just otherworldly offensively or Stephen Curry where I don't even care about defense because I know you're dropping 51 and you're making threes from a logo to just rip the heart out of the opponent. Or you're a great two-way player like LeBron James, like Kawhi Leonard, like Paul George, like Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, to where they do multiple things in their closers, their clutch, their NBA championships, their MVPs. Donovan Mitchell has not yet met the criteria of a superstar. If there's a superstar pyramid, there's a top pyramid of names I just mentioned. Donovan Mitchell is one below those names. And I feel like in that game also, the coach kind of messed it up. He hardly called a timeout in their long run. If you're down, or if you're up 25 and they keep draining threes on you, you need to keep calling timeouts to get your team together. He kind of just let them die out there. And he didn't adjust the defense to where Donovan Mitchell would go on him. So they just let him sit there the whole time without calling any timeouts. I agree in part with that. I do agree that some blame should be placed on the coach. Snyder did not make good in-game adjustments. Uh, If I were the head coach, I would have taken Rudy Gobert out of the game and had a smaller player that could at least guard all five people on the perimeter. Because with Rudy Gobert, it was basically like playing five on four. The Clippers had the advantage. So I do agree with that. The coach did make some terrible adjustments. And really, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did get fired and tried to isolate him. I don't think he should because they just had a great year. Uh, But no, to me, Donovan Mitchell is not a superstar, not best player on the planet. And Stephen A. owes Carl Malone and John Stockton an apology 
because Donovan Mitchell is not there yet. He's very close. We've seen him this year. We've seen him last year. He's electric, but he is not there yet. But he is ever so close to, I think, he can lead this team to a championship when it's all said and done. Donovan Mitchell, I believe, is that good, that special. But he is not on the level of superstardom yet when you blow series leads like that. And you're the leader of this team. If there was another leader, then I'd be fine with it. But Donovan Mitchell is the man in this series. Now, after that, the other Game 7 Saturday night was the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Me and Luca both picked Milwaukee to one, and they did it in a thriller in overtime. The Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Brooklyn Nets. Epic game. Luca, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? James Harden. He shot two for 12 from three points from three-point land and only had 22 points. So if he would just cut back from taking all those threes and just kept passing it to Durant, then they probably would have won this game. But no, he had to take those shots and miss all 10 of his three-point shots. So that really didn't help. Kevin Durant went off and scored 48 points. Did amazing. Blake Griffin wasn't too bad either with 17 points. And then for the Bucks, Giannis had 40 points, did amazing. He actually took shots. And the rest of the team did pretty good. Chris Middleton with 23 points, shot pretty good. And then Drew Holiday with a bunch of assists, eight assists in that game. And they had a few comebacks, and I believe it was in like the third quarter. They went on like a 10-0 run. And then, really, in overtime, the Nets only scored two points. So you're not going to win a game in overtime by only scoring two points. Even though Kevin Durant could have ended it if his bug foot wasn't on that line with his size 18 shoes. So, really, my main takeaway was Harden did horrible and Kevin Durant should cut off his feet. Wow. I agree. Not about the Kevin Durant part, but about the... James Harden part. James Harden was atrocious, and to me, he played 53 minutes. He played every minute of this game. He almost played every minute of the past two games, too. So he came back with a pulled hamstring. Now, I've pulled my hamstring before, and let me tell you, you can't be running up the basketball court for 53 minutes with a pulled hamstring. You can't do it for three straight games every other night to play every minute like he did. Obviously, he was somewhat healthy to where he could run up and down the court where it wasn't that serious of a degree. But James Harden, when you need him most, chokes the most. Game six against the Spurs was flat out terrible in a closeout game uh, five or six years ago. Three years ago, Game 7 against the Warriors, another closeout game to go to the NBA Finals, was terrible. I believe he only made one three-point shot. So in the moment you need him the most, he fails, he flops. Not a good look for James Harden in this game. Not good for his legacy at all to play almost every minute. Yes, he got 22 points, but a lot of those were free throws in um, little shots. And he just stood ran up, and he made such awkward passes to Kevin Durant where it looked like it could be a turnover. And then Kevin Durant was like, well, I guess I'll shoot it now since there's only two seconds left on the shot clock. So it wasn't a good performance offensively or defensively for James Harden. Like I just said with Rudy Gobert, it was five-on-four advantage for the Bucks. Kevin Durant was fantastic. Not great from three-point uh, area only 4 of 11. He's been more efficient before, but he dropped 48 points. Fifth, a little under 50% shooting. He was terrific. But Giannis was there every step of the way. 
40 points. These were two of the best players on the planet going up against each other in Giannis and Kevin Durant. A sensational series. So Luka, get into yet another topic, is did this game, did this whole series prove that Kevin Durant is the best player in the league? What do you think? Maybe the best player in the postseason so far, but in the entire league, I wouldn't say so, no. So he is not the best player in the league right now. After this series, who do you like more in the game after watching this? Who do you think is a better player, Kevin Durant or Giannis Antetokounmpo? Um, I would say overall Kevin Durant. I agree with what you said. I do not believe that Kevin Durant is the best player on the planet right now. Yes, he's been in the playoffs one series longer than LeBron, and he just put out fantastic numbers. So he is right there. But to me, this series, as great as Kevin Durant was, he had helped. Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters in the regular season. He did not appear. As we said, James Harden did not appear. Kyrie was injured. But you look at their bench in Game 5 or Game 7, Jeff Green, 0 points. Landry Shamit, 0 points. Kevin Durant had to do it all. But then if you look at the Bucks and their bench, Forbes, 0 points. His brother, 0 points. Connaughton, only 9 points. So really, Giannis carries the team just like Kevin Durant did. And to me, Giannis impacts the game more than Kevin Durant. To me, Kevin Durant is a better shooter, better scorer, no question about it. But defensively, I'd rather have Giannis. Even though one thing that still surprised me is Giannis did not defend Kevin Durant on the last shot to go into overtime. I felt like Giannis should have guarded Kevin Durant more this series. But Giannis is a better rebounder. Uh, He facilitates the ball to me the same way that Kevin Durant can. Um, But this was Giannis' time to step up in a way that he's never stepped up before. And to me, Giannis delivered a 40-point double-double in terms of points and rebounds. He was sensational this series. And to me, what makes Giannis so good is he's so efficient. And he seems like he drops 30 to 40 points every night. And it's just routine. It's easy for him. Whereas Kevin Durant had to work to get those 48 points where he was tired the end of the game. His legs gave out where he airballed the game-tying or game-winning three in overtime that he just could not do it. But to me, he is not the best place, not the best player in the world, but he is right there. With the top dog, LeBron James, I think Giannis is right there. If he wins the ring this year, if he wins the NBA championship, I think the strong case is for Giannis being a back-to-back MVP, defensive player of the year, then winning a championship. And if he were to win finals MVP, that would be great for Giannis for this league. But we'll see how that goes with this coming series. Then, yesterday, was both the start of a Western Conference Finals and the Hawks and the 76ers. Luka, the Suns, beat the Clippers 120-114. to 114. Clippers tied it up going into the fourth, but the Suns eked it out into the fourth quarter. What was your takeaway from that game? What did you see with no Chris Paul, no... Kawhi Leonard when it was Paul George and Devin Booker. I feel like this was more of a contested game than I thought it was going to be. They kept going back and forth, but at the end, the Suns started to pull away. And obviously, Devin Booker with his first ever triple-double, scoring 40 points. And then their bench did really good, too, with Craig made two threes somehow. Aiden did really good in the paint. You just had to throw it up to him, and he had many dunks. Crowder had a few threes. 
And then for the Clippers, Terrence, I knew, I knew Terrence, man. He's just going to be a one-and-done that last game. I don't think he's going to ever do what he did again in that last game. Only scored nine points, even though he was three for three from three-point range and three for four from his field goals. And then Paul George went off again, scoring 34 points. And then I think it's Reggie Jackson. Did pretty good that game with 24 points. Their bench did pretty good. But I feel like the Suns were more efficient with Devin Booker's mid-range. He did not miss in that fourth quarter from mid-range. And I feel like the coaching was equal in that game. And it was a good contested game. I agree. I do agree with what you said about Terrence Mann. He only attempted four shots that game after dropping 39 points. Only took four shots. When you look at it, Marcus Morris was 3 for 11. Did not make one shot from the downtown. 0 for 5 with 6 points to me. If he was 3 for 11, I want 5 of those shots gone. I'd rather give those shots to Taron Mann who was more efficient with his 4 shots. Coming off a brilliant game. Where he played well with Paul George and Reggie Jackson. To me that was a big miss. And not getting Terrence Mann involved more. Yes it was a good defensive game plan. But to me Devin Booker is not a defensive star. He's not known for his defense. He's definitely an offensive uh, juggernaut there. What Lucas said with the mid-range. His three-point shooting has improved tremendously in this postseason. A career 34%. Three-point shooter, and to me, he looks like he does not miss near the end of games from a three-point land. He is a closer. That's what I've learned about Devin Booker now is he is a closer. He closes games out. He goes on a run all by himself to get points, and this team is balanced. DeAndre Eaton, the alley-oops to him work time and time again. So I do think this is going to be a great series. We'll make our predictions in just a second. But Luca, Stephen A. said that Devin Booker is the next Kobe Bryant. What is your reaction to that? I think it's a little too early in his career to say that. But I think down the road, if he wins a few championships, I guess you could maybe call him that. I agree. I do feel the same. It's a little too early as... Stephen A. likes to make these early proclamations about, he just did about Donovan Mitchell, now about Devin Booker. Could this be the curse of Stephen A. Smith? I think it very much well could be. Who knows? Maybe the Suns advance, maybe they don't. But if they do, I'd like Lucas said, to be the next Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant won five championships, three-time MVP. Devin Booker has won nothing so far yet. No MVP, no ring. So he has to win win a ring, but I do agree that he has that Mamba mentality, that closing attitude, and it seems like they mention it every time you watch the broadcast. The commentators are like, he's got a tattoo that says, be legendary. Kobe Bryant told him to be legendary. That's all they say. It's like a loop. It's a repeat. So yes, I do agree that Devin Booker has that Mamba mentality, that assassin-like will to kill your team, but it's just, will he do it consistently? Time and time again, will he do it when the moment is actually the brightest, when it's a conference final, Game 7, when it's in the NBA Finals? That remains to be seen, but like Lucas said, and I agree with, he has to win a couple more championships, has to win a championship to even be in the stratosphere of the great, late Kobe Bryant. Then the final NBA game, absolute madness. This is the one Luca had right, I had wrong. Luca picked the Hawks to win. I picked the Sixers, and I was wrong. The Atlanta Hawks won one hundred three to ninety six. Really, to me, was an ugly game. Both teams shot around forty four percent from the field. The 76ers actually shot better from three-point land, 70 or 32%, to the Hawks, 25%. So, Luca, was this more good Hawks or bad 76ers? Um, definitely bad 76ers because, like you said, the 76ers did way better. 
It's just really Ben Simmons. He's so bad at shooting. At at the end, when he decided not to dunk because he's scared to take free throws because he can't shoot to save his life, even though Seth, I think Seth Curry should have got a little bit more minutes. He did really good at shooting with 16 points. Joel Embiid did amazing with 31. And then Harris with 24 points did pretty good. And then on the Hawks, Trey Young was 2 for 11 from 3-point and 5 for 23 from field goal with 21 points. And then some nearly no-names stepped up in that game for them. Herder with 27 points did really good that game. And then there, someone, a power forward from their bench, Gallinari, did really good with 17 points. So I think this was more bad 76ers with Ben Simmons, even though Embiid and a bunch of other players play good. I think Ben Simmons is to blame for this game. I definitely agree. This is more bad 76ers and good Hawks. Joel Embiid, with his slightly torn meniscus, Played better than a healthy Ben Simmons. Better than a healthy Tobias Harris. Healthy Seth Curry. He was the best player on the planet. Or best player on the team in this court. On this floor. With a torn meniscus. He was better than Clint Capella. And to me, he just didn't have the energy, the will, the health. To break down Clint Capella like he could. Because Joel Embiid can just dominate Clint Capella. He was settling for too many three-point shots from a perimeter. Bogdanovich was terrible in this game for the Hawks. Like you said, Luca, I think Kevin Herter stole this game. 10 for 18 from the field. He was terrific when this team was ice cold. Kevin Herter was the hot hand, and they wrote it. And to me, we're talking about how bad Ben Simmons is and how he can't shoot, how cold he is. But Trey Young was really cold that game. He was freezing. 5 of 23, like you said, 2 for 11. So, Luca, let's say the 76ers won this game. They pulled it out, and Trey Young had these terrible stats, just like Ben Simmons has terrible stats. Would you then, would all this be talked about, how we're talking about Ben Simmons negatively? Would it have been switched on Trey Young if the Sixers would have won the series? Um, I don't really think so, because if the 76ers did win, I think it would be like the same with the Hawks now, because they would blame it on Ben Simmons like they are right now. And then they probably would blame it on Trey Young, but then again, he's not afraid to take shots. He scored points. It could be on Bogdanovich for having four points and being 0 for 4 from 3. So I don't think it would be too much on Trey Young, but it would definitely be there. I agree it would be. To me, it would be fully on Trey Young because he's the star of this team. He's taking that leap to superstardom, going to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Hawks' second Eastern Conference Finals in 50 years. Trey Young's a leader, but he's got to be more efficient. If the shoe was on the other foot, Trey Young would be getting scolded right now by the media because he played very bad, performed terribly, wasn't particularly great throughout this series where I was like, Trey Young has arrived. He's the Steph Curry-like person we've been waiting to see. He's just the wannabe Steph Curry that pulls up and hits one of those shots where Steph will hit five of those shots. Kevin Herter pulled this team from the depths of despair last night and got this team to a win. So, Luca, I agree with you as well. Ben Simmons was terrible. Doc Rivers kind of threw him under the bus. Joel Embiid did as well. So, Luca, do you think the 76ers should move on from Ben Simmons? And if so, is there any place you want him to go, or should we just cut the guy? Um, I definitely don't think they'll cut him. Might as well get some value for him, but I think he'll probably get traded this season. And, um, like you said, Herder, he was kind of like the Terrence man of this game, even though he didn't do too great. No one expected him to do this good, and him doing that really helped the Hawks. I agree. 
Uh, and I agree, Ben Simmons should be traded. Uh, to me, they do not have... They have Seth Curry, but he's Seth Curry. He's not Steph Curry. He's not a legitimate, you know, three guy that can place as much minutes as Steph Curry and make as many threes as Steph. That's why he won Steph, won the finals champion MVP. Well, Seth is not. I believe Ben Simmons should be traded for a three-point shooter. Tobias Harris can ball. Joel Embiid can ball, but they all have trouble shooting the three. They need to trade for someone who can shoot the three and run the point like Ben Simmons does. Then this team will be in good hands. So, Luca, we have both conference finals, Western and Eastern set. The Suns have taken the first game in the West. What's your prediction for the series? Who do you think comes out of the Clippers, Suns, and in how many games? I think the Suns are going to win this series in five games. Wow. Suns in five. I'm going with the Suns as well, but Suns in seven. With how good the Clippers played yesterday, they surprised me without Kawhi. I think when Chris Paul comes back, it'll help. But Paul George is on a mission to declare himself a legitimate star. The coach for Clippers, Tyron Lue, who coached LeBron James, has been to the finals before. He's been around great players. He knows how to coach. But in the end of the day, the Chris Paul healthy will make a difference. Devin Booker playing good will make a difference uh, in this series. But I like the Clippers' toughness a lot. They don't fold like they did last year against the Nuggets. Then in the Eastern Conference Finals... You have the Atlanta Hawks going up against the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if anybody predicted this Western or Eastern Conference Finals, but to me, definitely in the Eastern Hawks and Bucks. Luca, who do you have in this series, and in how many games? I think the Bucks are going to win this series in seven games. Bucks in seven. You have that much faith in the Hawks? I feel like if Trey Young can step up and make at least like 50 to 60% of his shots, then they will win the series. But I don't trust him that much yet, and so I'm going to say Bucks. I agree. I'm going with the Bucks as well, but not in seven. I'm going with a Bucks sweep. Oh my I God. I guarantee. A buck sweep. I will break out the brooms with Giannis to go to Atlanta game four and dust Trey Young off of it, Bogdanovich, Herder, because it is a buck sweep. The Hawks have no business being in this series. None at all. They shouldn't be here, but somehow they are. Giannis is going to say, little man, little man. Not in my house, not in this series. When I put you on a poster, you won't be chirping anymore. I'm going to cause you so much stress. What little left of your hair will soon be gone. You will be ice cold walking into Atlanta. That's how much faith I have in the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Milwaukee Bucks could play with four players on the court and they'd still take the Hawks. To school. Just stop. That's how much faith I have in these bucks. That's a little much. I'm sorry, but Giannis is going to dominate. He's basically two people. Clint Capella is not going to be able to handle this man. Chris Middleton will lock up Bogdanovich or Trey Young or anybody. Drew Holiday will lock up Trey Young. This is going to be... A master class on how to beat the Hawks. And the 76ers are going to wish Ben Simmons took that dunk. Because this is going to get ugly starting Wednesday night. With, I believe, the Bucks beating the Hawks by 30 or more points in that first game. None of these games will be close. Bucks domination. That's what I'm rolling with here. Oh my gosh. You have anything to add to that or no? I feel like that's a little much to say, 
not even having him win one game. I don't think Giannis is going to carry him that whole time because they really can't rely on much people to be consistent from three-point. I agree, but when you have Giannis dunking on people, it's all you need. That's why you have, like, Clint Capella. Clint Capella's going to get and 10 posters. Clint Capella's going to get posters They're on. probably just going to double-team him, like, most of the game. That's fine. Then you'll leave, like, Drew Holiday open or Chris Middleton. Right. And they'll like, make... They're not consistent from three. Yeah, but they'll step up in this series. They'll wipe the floor. Oh, yeah, they'll step up now. Yep, exactly. So, then, moving off from the NBA to the NHL. Luca Vegas last night. Started Robin Leonard after Fleury made one mistake, but he is a Vesna Trophy finalist. He's one of the finalists or one of the favorites to win the Conn Smythe. But the head coach of the Golden Knights, Peter DeBoer, benched Fleury for Leonard. Leonard got the win, played great, but Flinner has been a rock in this series, in this season, the whole time. Do you think they should stick with Leonard moving forward, or do you think they should stick with Fleury? Well, obviously, you should stick with the more consistent and better goalie in Fleury and not starting Leonard, because I feel like the team just does better when Fleury's there because they know they can rely on him because he's more consistent and he's just overall way better than Fleury. I think the coach has lost his mind ever since he lost to him in the Stanley Cup. When I like the Sharks a lot, that was horrible. That that coach is not good at all, so they should start Flurry. I agree. They should start Flurry. I would roll with Flurry. Flurry has been the rock in this series, the one who got you past the Wild in Game Seven against the Avalanche, and basically he played five games. Leonard lost one of those games. Uh, Leonard has not been great this year. It's been flurry. But Peter DeBoer, the head coach for the Golden Knights, has a vendetta against Marc-Andre Fleury. He cannot stand that he is on a team where he beat him in the Stanley Cup Finals, and now he is on the same team. I believe Peter DeBoer, the head coach, I don't know how much this would interfere with the general manager or how much say they have, but I believe Peter DeBoer would not protect Marc-Andre, and they'd ship him off to Seattle. I firmly believe that. I like Vegas, and I like Vegas only for Marc-Andre Fleury because I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, and I like him, and I'll continue to root for him. But if Vegas lets him go, I will never root for Vegas ever again uh, because Marc-Andre Fleury has made it to a Stanley Cup Finals again with Vegas in the first year as he was the main goaltender. The head coach, Peter DeBoer, was not the head coach. At the time, it was Gerard Gallant. Still don't know why he got fired, but now it's Peter DeBoer, and he is lucky he inherited a great team. Now he wants to make dumb decisions and look even worse than Tortorella. But I believe, I actually think they will start Leonard the rest of this series. I really do, and this could be spelling up doom and any chances to win the Stanley Cup. So tonight, Luca, it starts very shortly. The New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The series is 2-2. Two to two. It's been very tight. Who do you have winning this pivotal Game 5 and why? Um, I think the Lightning are going to win this because I think they're going to start Vasilevsky, who is obviously a much better goalie. And then Braden Point has been really good, along with some of their other stars. And then the Islanders really don't have much going for them except for their good defense. Islanders don't have much going for them. They have a great goaltender in Simeon Varlamov. He's not great. This year he has been great. Other years you can say he's okay. This year he has been great. He's been good in this series. The previous series, Matt Barzal. He's 19-11. And Vasilevsky's 31-10. and 10. So he's played more games. With more wins and less losses. What's the goals against average? Like the oh, same. Oh, Varlamov is lower. Who has a higher save percentage? Simeon Varlamov. I mean, that's what happens when you play okay. 10 more games. No, it's not. So Varlamov is really good. Matt Barzal. 
He's been mediocre in these playoffs. No, he is not. In the he first, had, like, no goals in the first series. Yes, in the first series. Then halfway through the Bruins, he stepped up. He stepped up in this series. And it seems like he scored a goal every game in this series because he's been that good. The fourth line has been good. They are great defensively. But as you say, well, I should say like you said, the only thing that the Islanders or the Lightning guy got going for him is a goal, good goaltender or a good defender in Victor Hedman. That's all they got going for him. Like the best defender in the game, one of the best goalies in the game, and one of the best offenses in the game. Nope. This well, I, I predicted the Islanders to, to win in six. I am sticking with it. Islanders are going to win this game because Simeon Verlamov will have another great game. I think Vasilevsky will be great. But Matt Barzal, Brock Nelson, who I dislike very much, is going to step up huge in this game and get them to a win, and then they'll finish it off in Nassau Coliseum in the barn on Long Island. That's what I think. Then, to finish off the MLB, the big game tonight is the Dodgers and the Padres, two of the best teams in the league. San Diego is doing much better. Julio Uriah is starting for the Dodgers. You Darvish for the Padres. Both pitchers have been great so far this season. I think this will be a great game. The lineup, star power of Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Chris Taylor, and then you've got Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. So this will be a great game for the MLB this today in this series starting up between the Dodgers and Padres. And then the U.S. Open yesterday, John Rahm, or John Ram, birdied 17 and 18, two huge holes to essentially go to six under and win the U.S. Open. Louis Ustazen, who was leading most of the day, took a huge penalty on the 17th hole where he hit it out of bounds, had to bogey that hole, which really cost him the tournament, as long as Bryson DeChambeau taking the lead going on to the back nine, and he shoots a 44 on the back nine. I believe he had a couple double bogeys, had a quadruple bogey on 17. It was just not good for him at all. But congratulations to John Rom for winning this tournament. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back. Conference finals underway already for NHL. NBA just starting. A lot to get into before we crown a couple new champions this year. This is Get Your Goat. This is Josh. Bye, everybody. Bye.